0: Hey guys, Eric Bischoff here to talk to you about my friends over at SaveWithConrad.com. Are you looking to get out of debt? Conrad and his team can make that happen faster than me firing the Hockey Talk Man. Wow. And you know that controversy creates cash, right? Do you know what doesn't create cash? credit card debt. Save with Conrad can help you consolidate high-interest credit cards and all of your other debt into one low monthly payment. They can even help you get the cash you need for home improvements or anything else. They've helped 83 weeks listeners save 500, 600, 700, even $800 a month. Seriously, your paper's going to go down faster than nitro ratings in 2000. Ouch. And how about this? No house payments for two months. That's right, no house payments for two months. And unlike the dirt sheets, man, the reviews do not lie. With over 1,000 five star reviews, find out for yourself how much Conrad and his team can save you by checking out savewithconrad.com today. You'd be grateful you did. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Woo!
1: So, as we're getting ready to, um, to come into WrestleMania, you know, there's a lot of moving parts, and we're going to talk about a lot of politics and behind the scenes, but as we're talking about the contract, you're probably, if you're working with Taker, and you're working with Shawn, and you're in main events... It's probably not a thing where you're wondering, hey, how am, are they going to renew me? You're getting main event payoffs, right? So from a house show perspective, even if the houses weren't what they, what, what they would be in the future, it's not like you're worried they don't see value in the character.
2: Right, right. Um, we could go back and look at my 97 payoffs. I I I I compl- I would complain from time to time. Really? I would. Yeah. Um you can check with JR. I was well, I assume I wa- that
1: goes to JR, Yeah, it right? was
2: JR. I didn't overdo it, but uh, I, I did I would fight the fight when I really believed in it, especially when the houses took off and then I would see that I was getting less for a main event than I was getting for a semi-main event with half the crowd. So I, I realized this is not a uh, mathematically fine-tuned process. This is a gut feeling. So JR would say, well, you know, Mick, uh, you know, the shows are selling. You know, he'd say you weren't in the main event. And I'd say, Jim, these shows are selling out before we even announce a main event. It's the strength of the company that's selling it. And I think as somebody who's up here, that I should be factored in a little more than I am. So I didn't complain often. Uh, but I complained regularly. So I would say <laughs> every couple months.
1: Usually I, about pay-per-views or house show know, tours or combination? Combination,
2: but uh, with the pay-per-views, you knowing what other guys, and you know, kind of getting a feel for what other guys were bringing in, uh, based solely on the buy rates, then I would think that I deserved what someone else got for a similar role in the company. Uh, but 97, I wasn't, I probably wasn't making what I should have uh, for main events around the loop.
1: Let's go back in time okay. one year to when you first came in. The
2: sigh comes because I'm like, do I really want to complain about the payments? You know, 25 years after the fact, because the company ended up doing so much for me. But 97 was not a. Huge... The company's hurting in 97. Yeah, company's hurting. Yeah. So i just, I'm going to say, I think I pulled in about $350,000 in 1997 as a full-time wrestler, working around the country and the world, near the top of the card. Not a ton of money. And not a ton of money. Uh, especially when you deduct expenses out of it. Expenses, the pain I was in, yeah, taxes. So you weren't getting rich. You would need about 10 of those years in a row to even start really getting a comfortable nest egg for the future.
1: So just thinking back to when you first debuted, did you, you know, as we're going from, say, WrestleMania 12 to 13, financially, did it meet your expectations did it exceed your expectations well
2: well, let me put in context that when i left wcw i was making 150 so 350 felt really good to me yes it was in uh 98 when terry funk and i were were working together in rooming he said cactus the business is changing there's going to come a time when someone makes a million dollars a year uh or that by that point, Brett was already making a million dollars a year. Hogan was making a million dollars a year, so that may have been a '97 conversation when Terry came in for he would come in and out for short periods of time. But I was not upset with three hundred and fifty
1: at the time. In uh, your head, the 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 high water mark, Hall and Nash would call it sting money. Yeah, was that your high water? Yeah, mark?
2: I thought seven hundred and fifty was as high as you could get. Yeah, and I would have been thrilled with that. And by 98, I was making that type of money. Sure. But 97, yeah, the the pay-per-views, uh, uh, I remember uh, there was um, a question at a meeting about, uh, you know, Vince had a, uh, a meeting, uh, any questions? And Owen raised his hand. He said, yeah, where's the other half of my pay, mania check? Because it wasn't what it was expected to be, probably 97.
1: Yeah, because the buy rate the was buy so rate abysmal. Really,
2: buy rate wasn't great. And I think the company had gone out of their way to make sure Mania paper uh, payoffs were really solid because they wanted that to be the, the flagship, the granddaddy of them all. And it, it has become that. Um, but at that that year, we were even with the, the incredible Bret Hart, Steve Austin match, the buy rate wasn't it wasn't it was I mean, a
1: down WrestleMania yeah, yeah. across the board it and was. I think a lot of that's probably due to the success of WCW like the NWO had just taken over yeah. and it was the hot thing but you know Kevin Nash talked about one of the reasons he wanted to leave the WWF is in that era you didn't know what kind of year you were going to have until you got your mania payoff uh, so I am curious when, when Owen raises his hand and says where's the other half of my mania payoff uh, obviously he says that sort of tongue-in-cheek but does Vince try to explain the realities of that buy rate to everyone
2: or is it just dismissed because of the public forum? I think he was quickly dismissed. Yeah. Um, That's a conversation he would only have with individuals. Yes. I'm jumping ahead to when I was the commissioner. uh, But uh, I remember being asked if I could talk with Edge and Christian, Hardy's, Dudley's, and they just got in their payoff after that pay-per-view where this is after Edge and Christian had uh, torn the house down with yes. uh, Hardys and kind of set the mold for that amazing ladder match. Uh, so now it's the, the three teams, and uh, they, uh, I guess they felt like I was still one of the guys, right? Yes. They, uh, they fully understood that I'm not actually the commissioner, right? right, I, right I'm right. not actually office. And I said, well, how bad was it? And when they said 10 grand, I went... You got ten thousand dollars for that, and so I went to Jim on their behalf and uh, petitioned for more money. Uh, and uh, you know, he gave me an example of, uh, and it looks, man, you know, it's his bolt of lightning could come down if I say anything construed as being disparaging at all towards the Undertaker. But when uh, I brought up how much I, we had heard Undertaker made, he goes, "Well, Undertaker's a tenured veteran." I said, "Be that as it may." The match with him and Bossman was thrown together like that. It was not a good match. And to pay anyone, whatever the incredible disparity was, I don't know if it was 50 times or 30 times or 20 times, but it was still, it felt like a slap in the face to those guys uh, getting paid that little. And they did get bumped up from there. But I think Vince always wanted, as a guy who strives to have talent reaching for the brass ring, I think he wanted it known that only when you got that brass ring could you make that kind of pay-per-view main event money.
1: Do you think Vince also hated the idea of paying six guys in a match?
2: Maybe. Yeah, maybe so.
1: I've just heard over the years that uh, if you have a main event and it's a tag team, you got to pay four guys instead of two.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's yeah, a simple
1: yeah, yeah. deal, but... I like it. So today we're talking about WrestleMania 13, and you said at the top of the show, hey, WrestleMania back then is not what it is now. When do you remember that changing?
2: I mean, 12 and 13? For me, it changed in 98 with Mike Tyson. Really? You know, I remember being in a Legends round table type of thing, and I was roundly criticized by the table I had because I said that the Tyson appearance was the biggest celebrity appearance because it took WrestleMania to that next level. And the guys were like booing me as for insinuating that WrestleMania wasn't always huge, but you check the buy rates, I think 97, that first one I was in was way down, way down. Like it was like a a percentage point or two above what a normal pay-per-view would have, it was almost in, in your house territory. I don't want to, you know, disparage mania by saying it was all the way in your house but it was approaching in your house numbers. Uh, and I think it changed when, uh, everything just fell into place. You had a major, you know, major, um, crossover celebrity in Tyson who was also a huge wrestling fan growing up to the point where when I first met Mike, he was hitting me with trivia that I couldn't remember about my own career. Wow! He was talking about, you know, man, come play with the rats. And, uh, and I couldn't even remember when I played with the rats. And I had, oh, that's right. That was my vignette when I was Mankind and I was in the dungeon and it was uh, Corny's, you know, Corny's pet rat that I named George. Uh, so you had Tyson, who was a huge wrestling fan, with an angle that worked, with a character in Steve that was just firing on all cylinders, and you had the angle that got played everywhere yeah. when he shoved Mike, and and he was made to look like, uh, you know, uh, Steve was made to look like a genuine, and he was a genuine superstar, yeah. but he was made to look to the general public like a genuine superstar. Legitimately. That, to yeah. me, is when everything changed.
1: Well, and they did that crazy public workout with all those folks, with Shawn and, 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 and Tyson tying up Austin and showing him the belt. But there were, I don't know what the expectation was, but Bruce says it was a multiple. you know. So maybe they expected a few thousand and it was several thousand. But to me, it feels like WrestleMania 2001. I think that's when they started doing Access. They had the Dome. So no longer were they running arena shows. They were yeah. running a Dome. Oh, 01 feels like maybe the first
2: time where this is bigger. And is that when it started becoming a week? I think so. Yeah, it yeah. started becoming a week, and that's where people made the pilgrimage. I, I, I'm sure there were people coming around from around the world. Sure. but Prior to them. but uh, I, you know, when you go to WrestleCon, I would say 50% plus of the people you meet are from outside the country. Isn't that crazy? It's, yeah, it's crazy and it's really telling as to how big it is. Uh, I I I did an appearance uh, on the night of the Hall of Fame and with WWF's blessing, although they said next year we'd like to have you at the Hall of Fame, but it was a surprise for Terry Funk that Gabe Sapolsky uh, arranged. You know, Gabe was a big fan of mine, a big fan of Terry's, great creative mind. And so I did the surprise for Terry and it was super cool. You know, but Terry wasn't expecting it. He was emotional, but most people are thinking they're not expecting a WWE guy to show up at a, you know, at a smaller show. Right. Um, but that, the reason I bring that up is because uh, there was probably 2001 or a few years later that it started becoming this pilgrimage, not just for fans, but for wrestling companies. Yes, around the world. And now you see the number of uh, guests at like a WrestleCon. It's in like the hundreds, like 120, 130, some of them bigger names than others. But 130 people almost uh, largely being flown in by a promoter. Sometimes they take a loss. Sometimes they make money. But it's just this idea that it's become this a meeting spot for the entire world oh the reason i brought the funk the funk uh, show is because i got on the mic and i said something positive about wwe and it got some booze and i was like hey, hold on a second like you can choose to like and not like what you want but i think we need to accept that that's the reason everyone's here yes. you know without 100%. that and that doesn't mean you can't go and enjoy every show but wwe Support what you like. Yeah, yeah, but they're the reason we're gathered here today.
1: Yes. Uh, That was uh, almost like a church. Ladies (laughs) and gentlemen, we're gathered here today. Yeah, and we treat people how they treat us, and, and she was phenomenal. And now Sherry Martell is coming in. Yeah uh... we're going to be talking
2: about her quite a bit but boy another great talent gone way too soon man. <laughs> yeah, i'm laughing not because she's gone too soon but because she was here. here's you know you talk about treating people the way that they treat you so i go uh... i'm an independent guy this is uh... eighty probably eighty seven so i'm starting to make a little name for myself maybe it's even early eighty eight you know i get keep them Time frame is I get my first job in Memphis in summer of 88. Dave writes that I'm the best no-name independent out there, could be, who some considered. And then within two, three days, my phone rings five times and I get three different offers. And from I, the Observer, it, From the Observer. So that's the New York Times of uh, wrestling uh, newsletters. Uh, and their, you know, their influence is undeniable. So I get an offer from uh, uh, the oldies up in Maine, which is really not an offer. I get an offer from uh, Tommy Gilbert, Eddie's dad in Kansas City. I get an offer from, um, from uh, Memphis. And I end up going the Memphis route. Why did you uh, pick Memphis? Uh, because they had the track record. Yeah. You know, they had the track record. Tommy's thing, Tommy Gilbert's thing in Kansas City was new, trying to resurrect a dead ter- territory. The thing in Maine was uh, part-time work. And uh, they had the track record. Uh, you know, I struggled for sure. I struggled mightily in uh, in Memphis, but it was a great place to learn. And I learned on a daily basis. And I also learned how not to treat people because that was an example where of a place where I thought people could have been a little nicer without much effort and went out of their way to make life a little more difficult on me than it Needed to be
1: management so. or other wrestlers.
2: I'd say, you know, you, it sounds crazy. Yeah, but there was a I felt like there was an anti-Northern bias. Wow. And that I wasn't in the loop. And so when you are coming in, you are taking someone's job. And, uh, for example, I was going to cost Tojo Yamamoto bookings. Now, Tojo at that time legend. was a legend, but he was well up in age. You know, he was doing the type of thing where he'd throw a chop and hit him, you know, on the, the rope and hit himself. But he was still a revered figure there, and I was costing a couple guys part-time work, maybe one guy full-time work. And, uh, you know, I would be lectured about the northern style that I had. And then in the, in the last week we talked about uh, the cowardly heel and how it's a good fit for some people but Leon White at 420 pounds doesn't have any business being the cowardly heel. Right. And while I appreciated it I just didn't think people wanted to watch a show with uh, a, a cliched, you know, the, the same guy Different guys doing the same thing. I'm right. a big fan of what I call the Memphis backpedal, right? Babyface makes the comeback and it gets to the point of, whoa, let's let's talk about it, you know, as walking backward, you know, walking back, whoa. And when done well, it's incredible. You know, these guys, yes. some of the best in Memphis, you know, they they work that crowd, you know, and the ba- babyface, should sure, no, I come out, you know, that type of thing. And it works, undeniably, it works, but it's not for everyone. Right. And if I'm doing it in match one, by the time you get to match seven or eight in your main event, it's not the same thing. And you ultimately want Lawler, who's gonna close every match. You want him, when that guy does the Memphis backpedal, you know, and you want Jerry bringing down the thing and you want it bringing down the house. So I just thought it was, I just, I I thought it was uh, bad. I thought I didn't buy into uh, the wrestling as coward all the time, every time. And, uh, and I, yeah, I, I, there were guys did go out, Robert Fuller, right? Jeff Jarrett, Jeff and I are still friends to this day. Robert Fuller and I are still friends to this day. Robert Fuller was like my guru, right? Uh, rode with them and learned both what to do and what not to do because Robert had not done a great job of saving his money as his, his brother, uh, Ronald had. Uh, But a great mind, one of the great storytellers, great characters we've ever had in this business. And uh, so I made a lot of progress, but there were some definite growing pains there. So
1: we're learning all of your nicknames. We learned a few weeks ago, Mr. In Your House. (laughs) And now we've got Best No Name Wrestler. Uh, But you were talking about Memphis as a time when you first
2: met Sherry. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah. Sorry. Thanks for putting me on track. I was, as I'm talking, I'm going thinking, where is this going? <laughs> Do I need to come around? So before uh, say three, four months, I'm thinking it's March, March, uh, uh this would be March, eight, yeah. March 88. Okay. Cause I get my job in, uh, in uh, July of 88 in Memphis. Um, Louis Fabiano, good hand on the Long Island area. Good bump taker. Uh, never really, he meant to, went to Continental, worked Puerto Rico, but never really became a name. Uh, I remember Louis going, Dutch has a gimmick for me. He may have worked Memphis as well. I said, what is he? He goes, the New York thug, which bears slight resemblance to the Brooklyn Brawler, right? A little, right? Bit. A little, a little bit. bit. A little bit. So I wasn't as excited as Louis was about a second-rate <laughs> version of a... I <laughs> mean, fairly mundane character. Yes. I don't want to badmouth the Brooklyn Brawler because it was a good. He <laughs> good, had his place. He had his place. He had his place. And uh, it was a fun character. But I don't. It wasn't like guys were looking for ways to. I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to okay. do that, but on a, on a, you know, with less eyeballs on it. Uh, but anyway, Louie and I attend a WWF show back when they used to run high schools. And Louis telling me he went on a tour, with, and he knows Sherry, and he's at the, you know, talking to somebody uh, in the in the front of the WWF dressing room office. Uh, can you tell her Louis Fabiano's here? And you figure Sherry's a big star; she's gonna come. You know, she hears an indie guy. She went on a tour somewhere. You know, pass a note to him. Come out for two seconds instead. She comes out with all that Southern warmth and just Louie and hugged on him. And it was like, this is one of the nicest people you could meet. Yes. And Sherry, as you mentioned, she's gone way too soon. Uh, She had a tough life uh, coming up Uh, and she left us way too soon. Um, But man, did she leave a mark, right? the stuff she did uh, not only with Sean but later on with Rick, the stuff she did with Shane Douglas. She was a she was a major, major player. And uh, and when she came into uh, WCW, she she made a difference there too.
1: I hate that she's gone before the nostalgia of pro wrestling became in yeah. fashion again. Yeah. Like she would have been celebrated so yeah. huge. Right. But she wasn't here to enjoy it and appreciate it. She made
2: it into the hall, though. Yes, she did. She made it into the hall, which was really cool. And she and she, I remember how much it meant when she would compliment uh, the women the of of the next era, our era, you know. When she would talk to one of the women, I remember when that year she was inducted into the hall and talking. Uh Melina was like on cloud nine when uh, Sherry complimented her. So she was she was great for someone who was you know a scary Sherry and. Uh, and uh was willing to make herself look ridiculous. Uh she was a really classy, she was a really classy woman in an unconventional way. Yeah.
1: Uh so at SmackDown on February 1st, the show opens with you and the radicals coming out. You're gonna cut a promo about how they weren't old enough to make it in WCW and they deserve a chance. Uh Hunter's gonna announce I get, the... I got
2: my zingers in there. Oh, you I, did man. I, I was I was hundred percent on board as a WWE guy. I think the
1: uh, original plan, it feels like it's set here where it's going to be a series of matches and if they win, they get jobs. So it's going to be an eight-man tag with the Radicals against Hunter and the rest of DX. And that's supposed to be the main event. We know that doesn't happen. Um, But boy, what a crazy time this is because right after this, uh, and and it's hard to just even put this into context, all that Vince is doing with the WWF, and and we know the next year, they're actually going to go public. But here on February 3rd, He announces the XFL and, uh, you wrote in your book, Vince called me on my cellular phone on February 6th. I had my kids in the car and wasn't in any mood for a verbal confrontation. So I never mentioned 2020. What do you think we should do about the pay-per-view Vince Said, I consider my relationship with Vince to be a good one and at times to be a close one, but he doesn't make a habit of consulting with me about (laughs) pay-per-view ideas over the phone. I generally give the World Wrestling Federation some good ideas and they give me a great deal of creative freedom concerning interviews and angles, but this particular call was a little out of the norm. Fortunately, I had been giving my potential retirement match a great deal of thought and had an idea on tap. I had regretted not retiring after the Madison Square Garden show and feared hanging around much longer. By the time the phone call was done, we had booked our No Way Out main event. It was Cactus Jack and Triple H and a Hell in a Cell match with the loser being forced to retire. I had intended to go out at, at the WrestleMania with a nice send-off, but I actually like this idea better, wrestling my kind of match in a pay-per-view main
2: event. Man, I'm glad, first of all, that's some pretty good writing. You know, yeah, absolutely. A, kid can write. And I was thinking, wow, I would not declare my relationship with Vince to be close at this point, although it could be, it could be, you never say never. Um, but yeah, I knew that the injury to Eddie had something to do with it. So uh, possibly they were going to go with the Radicals and uh, and and Triple H. So maybe the Triple H Royal Rumble match was supposed to be a one-off. Triple, Triple H and Cactus Jack and that I was hoping to retire at Mania. But uh, yeah, now I do review them. Thanks for clearing that up.
1: If you had your druthers, thinking back on it, I mean, I know it's easy to look back with hindsight. But in your mentality, leaving the Rumble in January of 2000, who would have been your dream WrestleMania retirement opponent? Would it have been yeah. Hunter, or yeah. would it have been someone else?
2: Yeah, I, I feel so fortunate to have had those two big matches with Hunter. Yeah. Because there's this telling moment in beyond the mat where I say, "I don't want to be remembered as the guy with the sock." Right. And then after I, I Barry Blaustein shows me the footage, he was concerned. That I was going to come across poorly as a father, you know, because I, did, in my own defense, by the time I got backstage, the kids had calmed down. I didn't realize that they had been uh, beside themselves and hysterical, you know. Even where my son asked me, "Dad, can I go back out and watch the Rumble?" and my daughter says, "Dad, I want, Daddy, I want to wrestle you." And I said, well, we'll wrestle when I get home. Said, I want to wrestle you right now. <laughs> I'll bandage up. she wants to wrestle me right now. So they seem fine. And Barry wanted me to see that and remark on it because he liked me, you know? He didn't want me to come across poorly as a father. He thought that would be unfair. And so that's why he showed me that footage. Um, uh, so I did get, but I, and then I said, maybe I will, would rather go out as the guy with the sock, um, but I did get to go out the way I wanted to go out with two big matches, so I can't say that there would be a dream opponent for me. Okay. Uh, I can't say I can't say that, and I did end up, uh, you know, catching on against my will uh, in the WrestleMania main event. You know, uh, people can call me a hypocrite for coming back six weeks after I said I wouldn't prostitute my name by coming back. two months i think i came back and said i didn't come back in two months i came back in six weeks (laughs) Uh, but i'm also the only guy to ever actually try to change the company's mind when they're told they're going to be in a wrestlemania main event so i tried you can ask jr when you grill jr i did try you know hey we got a little i don't do a good jr i do a good Vince, good terry funk decent yeah (laughs) rocky balboa i don't do a good uh, jr but when he called me up, he says, well, "We got a little role for you, at WrestleMania. I'm gonna host a panel and main event." Main, I said, "I just retired." And uh, well, Vince feels really strongly about this. So let's talk about this match. Uh, more modern times
1: here, Super Brawl. Uh, you you sort of laid out that maybe the Nasties were upset with Max Payne. Does <laughs> they go back through the curtain and it's a shouting match? No.
2: She probably should have been. Uh, Because I know that Sags felt like it might have been intentional. Like it might have been intentional. And they ribbed Max because Max was a big, good-hearted guy. And the Nasties were ribbers. You know, I mean, they took it well. And, you know, I mean, Sags got as good as he... uh, uh, Nobbs. Nobbs was more of the the verbal ripper. Uh, He got it as good as he gave it. And he enjoyed being in that role. Uh, I mean, one of the... One of the uh, things I wrote about in my book, the Tower New York Times number one bestseller, Have a Nice Day, is that uh, we take the uh, the test, you know, for his testing uh, for drug test, And Knobs, who was probably surprised that the plastic cup didn't melt when his urine hit it, ends up testing positive and he goes, oh, okay, what'd you get me for? And the guy goes, uh, anabolic steroids. And Nobbs just says right in front of the doctor, steroids? steroids and he takes off his shirt and like he, you know arn anderson says he has the physiological makeup of a jellyfish he goes does it look like i'm on steroids and the doctor takes his pen and writes obviously there's been some type of mistake <laughs> 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 um the
1: nasty boys always strike me as a type and i know they had their issues with scott hall when you weren't yeah, there and all that yeah. but They always strike me as like old school guys where even if you did maybe take a liberty or something didn't go right, they're just going to stick their hand out and say, good match. And dot, 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 I'll catch you down the road.
2: They came up through that uh, AWA system, you know, which was that incredibly taxing uh, training regimen. And so they went through it. I mean, I remember coming and doing my event. and. While, on one hand, I never should have told the Nasties to come and be my guests, because I didn't, you know, they kind of went into business on their own. Uh, And they gave a very interesting talk that would have been a great talk if it was an evening with the Nasty Boys. And I had Kane there as my guest, too, and neither one of us got to talk for about 25 minutes, but Sags and Knobs did take me and all the people in attendance through the rigors they had to endure. And they said it was Matt Mill- there was some connection with Matt Millen, the great football player. And Matt Millen was on the phone, whether it was with Vern or whoever the trainer was, Brad Rangins, whoever it was, and he was asking, and they said they saw his eyes like just going real wide. And Matt put down the phone. He said, You guys have to get in shape, like talking about getting in shape before they ever got there. So I think they trained for a year or so just to just to endure what they had to endure with the AWA. I had no idea. They come out they just look like a couple of brawlers, you know. They had that what I think Meltzer called a strange charisma. Yeah. You know, and they had good matches. They they were good characters. I mean, they had a great whether it was a one-year run in WWE, they were great in WWE, yes. right? Yes. And they had good matches throughout their time in in WCW. Um the story about <laughs> Dave Schultz is uh he is the—I don't think it's hyperbole to say the most infamous enforcer of all time, or at least at that point he was. Um, the Broadway Bullies are just legendary in Philadelphia. Dave Schultz is—he's coaching, a, you know, a, a minor league hockey team I think in the area. But this is a big deal to have this guy as your enforcer. He's somebody who really means something, especially in Philadelphia. And so uh, I can see him. He's, he's out of his element. He doesn't feel completely comfortable. And he goes over to, um, I think it's Sags, who he's supposed to hit, you know, leading into the finish. And he says, um, maybe you guys can show me how to throw one of your punches. And Sags kind of looks and he, goes, nah, and he goes, just hit me as hard as you can. And he goes, if I hit you as hard as it can, I'm going to hurt you. And he goes, like I said, hit me as hard as you can. And I said, uh, Mr. Schultz? And he said, yes. I said, uh, you are a legend here. We would not want to do anything that makes you look bad in front of this audience. I said, we're gonna be out there pretty much swinging away. And so you need to do the same. And at that point, Schultz's, his nervousness ends. I believe he enjoys a beer or two. He enjoys talking with us. And now when that moment comes down and he has to go to work on, on SAGS, it is clear that he has fully <laughs> grasped the lesson <laughs> and taken out, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe above and beyond, he pulls, you know, they always had the shirts, right? Like, you know, we were all all cover-up uh, yeah. aficionados, right? We all believe in the art of the cover-up. So he pulls that shirt over, sags his head, and I mean, brother, when he's coming in with the uppercuts, he's hitting them with everything he has. He knocks them goofy, and now I think there's a, you know, whatever move ends it after that comes in rapid succession, but it's it Schultz uh, just throwing haymakers and connecting, knocking Sags Goofy at his own request. And it's like, oh, I'm so proud to be part of this business. You know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um...
2: No, and, and just, I don't know if we're gonna revisit this match at another time. But there's my, my only gold that I had on, on that, you know, in WCW was that tag team gold. Yeah. My dad was at the match. Uh, a couple of my friends were at the match. Philadelphia, not too far from Long Island. And I remember Bischoff saying, that's the Mick Foley I want to see. Or that's the Cactus Jack I want to see. Because I had been down. You know, I had been down. And um, as we'll probably talk about, you know, I was thinking I was going to get surgery to repair the... the uh, uh, the lost year, and then I got called back into action, or asked if I would go back into action. And Kevin and I had that great match with the Nasties, uh, and it was it was it was one for the ages. Trying to live up to what we did at Spring Stampede. Yeah, so man. and we we will, there's a lot to live up to as you and I I guess are going to talk about.
1: The Nasty Boys, though, such a guilty pleasure of mine. I love this match. Uh, and you
2: know what? They they love the fact. I don't think I ever see them when they don't quote the book where they say the Nasties were sloppy and dangerous, but they knew how to brawl. Like, they like they were the guys who would hit you in the ribs. You know, they might catch you in the ribs, you know, instead of the stomach, you know. Uh, I guess anything that I, I probably owe Knobs <laughs> an apology to this day for the fact that I took a fan's so bo- you know soda bottle, not about a bottle, you know big 32 ounce uh, soft drink or beer, and I think I'm throwing beer in Knobs's face, and the, the guy goes no, like no, I thought, like, come on, dude, it's only beer; you can order another one, and I'm in mid fling when I see this. Bra- brown liquid and root and it's chewing tobacco and it's like knobs (laughs) could you have imagined
1: when you signed your deal with the wwf in late 95 or whatever that you would have ever been portraying a comedy figure (laughs) because it's so opposite cactus jack yeah yeah it's hard to imagine that
2: one day you'd make sock puppets. Cactus Jack. There was a little humor. Some of the promos, Cactus Jack. There was Jack, some were, inside, yeah. you know, yeah. innuendo. Uh, even the the birthday, uh, you know, the birthday party for Abdullah the Butcher. Yes, it was me and Abdullah having a birthday party for Sting, and uh, Paul Heyman gave me the key line in here, which is, and then also I I had been under, you know, Paul's uh, Paul was there. He was pre ECW. This is, is ninety one um but we go out there with a birthday cake and i'm going to sing a happy birthday to you and it was you know the cactus 91 cactus jack i think i would argue 91 i don't know he had a good but 91 coming in strong there or 95 ecw uh slash iw japan they were the best versions of cactus jack um 91 you know happy and i've got abdullah he's eating a cake uh, I believe he's eating it without utensils. You need Happy birthday to you. It sounds a little mankindish but Cactus was a little mankind. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday dear stinger. Happy birthday to you. So it's kind of a comedic setting singing happy birthday, Abdul is eating a cake and Jim Ross cuz that's really nice. Cactus but it's not Sting's birthday and I, went, I know that. Don't you think I know that? I know it. It's, it's, it's I said it's but I miss Sting's last birthday, so it's very important that we celebrate Sting's last birthday now because Sting's last birthday was Sting's last birthday, and so now we've made people laugh, we've cut them off, and we've somehow come across as being more diabolical and maniacal while singing a birthday song and eating a birthday cake, freaking awesome. Which is what I loved about that type of thing. But you're right, I did not see, I didn't. Nobody saw the comedic. Well, especially mankind he's, yeah. he's
1: he's in a dungeon he's got a rat on him not the good kind and, <laughs> and it, it it's uh it just feels like there's no way this would ever have a comedic streak it's right. so dark yeah and well anyway here it comes i, I wanted to ask though because the reason we brought up the the style of match i know you know that you've already got the deal and they know what you're doing and they're invested. But I think before you have the matches, when Cornette tells you Vince didn't like the promos, this has to be in your head now. Here I am with no sleep, with a gimmick I don't love, that I'm trying to make the best of. I'm trying my best to make chicken salad. I've just let a rat crawl all over me and poured my heart into it. They're telling me it's not good. And now go wrestle in a different size ring with different ropes and, and, and a different canvas and... Uh, this
2: has to be a very stressful day, not very enjoyable. It is a stressful day, and I think I have uh, foregone, uh, I've seen the Whataburger in Corpus Christi, and it's not in my best interest to eat this. So that shows you my level of dedication to that show. I did find out uh, Vince wasn't a big fan, did not have the sleep. Uh, and again, I, I had to convince myself on the plane that I belonged there. Uh, but now I'm as a different character, and everybody in that dressing room seen people come and go, so I came in uh, right after Santa Claus had left. Yep. Uh, so so this is where they were on that map, you know, with the Aldamontoyas and Santa Claus, the evil Santa, uh, which I would disagree on just based on principle. Yeah, you, know, you don't have an evil Santa character. Don't don't do that to your yeah. fans. Um, and I wasn't sure what the future held for me. And I did come out, you know, I mean, there was enough encouragement where I thought it went well. I was trying out a few different moves in there, but things I thought would work with the character. But for the life of me, I still didn't see why I wasn't Cactus Jack.
1: Was Pat there? Did he give you feedback?
2: I don't remember Pat giving me feedback what about Vince? at what that did he time. Think? I don't, don't recall. Okay. I wish I could tell you.
1: So you did wind up working uh, in Memphis for a short time against Jerry Lawler before, you know, that WrestleMania. Yeah. I'm just curious, how does that come about? Do you think I need to work in the lifts more? I want to work on the gimmick more? Or is this a WWE idea? Go- this
2: is, WWE had a talent sharing agreement. Yeah. And uh, by and large, Jerry was getting people who either hadn't, <laughs> who had had their run. Uh, as a matter of fact, I remember Brian Christopher going out and cutting a promo about the guy he was bringing in next week. And oh, he's a big guy and he's got a, he's got a dental chair. So they were bringing in Isaac Yankum, mm-hmm. right? And this is, so he they're not getting the best that WWE has to offer, but they're also getting people who are working on new stuff, so... And,
1: and green guys like The Rock.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they were... Yeah, Kurt, yeah guys, yeah, this is a, Yeah, they were getting Kurt their Angle. experience yeah. there. I was coming in just to get some working experience, and Lawler sold it like I, he was in a fight for his life, which was great. The net, and then that night, you'd work Saturday morning TV in Memphis, then you go to the Nashville Fairgrounds to work Did your... you pick uh,
1: anything up from Lawler? Lawler's such a master of the craft, well, underappreciated. He, oh, yeah,
2: sells everything so well, so you're not necessarily having to do as much. And it was a short match, maybe seven, eight minutes, so I wasn't going to be up there with the best stuff that Lawler's ever done. But I think the line I used, of all the things I've lost, I think i missed my mind the most, which may have been a corny line. Corny may have given that to me. And it was that. then that night I'm working as a babyface with Brian Christopher as my partner, and I can't remember who we're working with, but as we're going, uh, now uh, Brian's looking for the tag, and I start you know, getting caught up in what else is going on, and now the crowd's starting to plead with me to come in there and now instead of it being uh, a mistake I'm making because of the absence of mind, now I'm consciously choosing not to be there. So I'm finding ways for this character, I'm seeing potential for this character to work based on the fact that he can be further out there than Cactus ever was. Uh, and, I, and it's not running through my mind that I have to find nuances to work with the bigger, because it's going to be a character that does a lot of yelling, And then he's going to come down in decibel. He's almost going to whisper. Um, But it was still very much a work in progress, you know, when I got in there to do my first, not only my first match with The Undertaker, but even uh, a couple months in when I do my first pay-per-view, still a work in progress. And I can't tell you how indebted I am to him for, uh, you know, believing in me to that point where he thought a loss At our first pay-per-view match was going to do more for him in the long run uh, than winning that match would be and it was you know I think my record against Undertaker was maybe two in 98 I'm guessing we had about a hundred matches I know i only won two of them but they were the ones that counted it was that that uh, June in my first pay-per-view match and then it was uh, the uh, boiler room brawl SummerSlam SummerSlam in August yeah
1: You've heard Mick talk about it for years, a G one Mick and I absolutely love a G one. We start each and every day with a simple scoop. That's it. That's all we need one single scoop and a cup of water and buddy, we're getting 75 different high quality ingredients. It's going to hook you up and give you all the key daily nutrients. And it's going to go ahead and support everything you need your energy, your focus, your strength, your clarity. This is just a, a no brainer to me. Think of it as like your Foundational nutrition product. You know, listen, we all get busy and we wind up, well, I didn't want to do this for lunch, but I don't feel like I have an option, or, well, I know I need to. Dude, this is easy. Just one scoop every single day. You're making sure you're taking care of your most valuable asset. You, you cover all your bases. You're looking for better gut health. You want to boost in energy. You want to support that immune system. Maybe you hate taking pills or vitamins. Maybe you just want a supplement that tastes good. I drink mine every single morning. My wife does hers before she even does her coffee. It makes her feel unstoppable on her way to the gym. And I think it gives me more focus at work. I feel like I'm more productive and I don't have that crash in the afternoon. I feel like I'm more productive all day long. We started this back even before the pandemic started. My wife did, but when the pandemic started, man, she had me start doing it. We've done it every day since we are huge fans. I think you will be too. Even our daughters are into it now. Morgan's actually taking some down to Tuscaloosa with her. With every single serving, you're setting yourself up for success. I just can't recommend it enough. By the way, you don't have to take our word for this. Just go look up their reviews. These cats have thousands of five-star reviews. It's the real deal. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1. And get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go right now to drinkag1.com Foley. That's drinkag1.com slash Foley. Check it out. You'll be glad
2: you did. So, you know, you'd have your run, but as far as the guys who were perpetually on top, they were uh, Turner contracts and not WCW contracts. And there just didn't seem to be a way to crack in there. I'd be hard pressed to think of somebody who did that organically, who came in at uh, you know seventy-five grand or one fifty and one fifty was that was good money. Yeah. I mean, when Magnum offered me the starting income of fifteen hundred, he said, uh, you know, this is a, like a carrot, right? You know, next year it could be one fifty, and I looked at him and I wasn't and I wasn't trying to bring his attention to his own in his own injuries, I said, Magnum, you've seen me wrestle. There might not be a next year. And uh, that seemed really to, you know, that, that, that touched him. And he was like, I'm, I think you're worth it. I'm gonna see what I can do. And Jim Hurd came over and he, uh, a couple weeks later, he says, Magnum says he thinks you're worth it. And so do I, shook my hand and uh, there it was. It also helped that I had Joe Petticino's Global Global Wrestling. which, you know, was funded by the rare Nigerian prince many of us (laughs) have heard from. But we didn't know that he didn't have $25 million. We didn't know that. It seemed like a viable other place to go to the point where I was actually working Global and WCW uh, consecutively. So I remember them talking to me and saying, you just lost to Terry Gordy on Global. yeah, but it was a good match, right? And was one of the best guys of his uh, era. Uh, yeah, really underrated as far, especially as far as being realistic and wrestling in Dallas. Man, you know, he was going to lay that stuff in, and we had a good match. I've never seen it, but I think it was a good match. Um, but I had that kind of wild card in that I thought I had a backup plan. Backup plan. But when it came to WWE, yeah, I did call. It was just one call, as we you know, we were allowed to do. You know, you test the waters, and uh, there was no. No, yeah, there was no reaction. It was just JJ, who I've come to, you know, understand. It was not JJ, it was Vince. Vince. So I mean, that was me with a pen in my hand writing the book, and but that is what I was thinking. Wait a second, I'm Cactus F and Jack, and I'm getting 30 seconds from JJ F and Dylan. Uh, And I think I may have actually cursed in the book. It was like being a kid with a new toy, like all right, I don't curse much in real life, but in this forum, I'm going to exercise the right to drop those F-bombs. Um, yeah, I would I would uh, get the denial. Um, then I would watch Monday Night Raw. I would see Mantor and Duke the Dumpster Drozzy. Um, <laughs> Avatar, Al Snow. Oh, yeah. And I would think, like, don't they know that I'm better than this. Uh, Or don't they know that I know they're lying when they say they're not looking for new talent? They were always bringing in new talent. And it was just Vince's feeling, yeah, that I didn't look like a star. That uh, the adjective he used was seedy. And I think he said to Bruce, uh, there's no, Cactus Jack will never step foot inside a WWF ring.
1: But thankfully, there's somebody else in there
2: who's pushing pretty hard for you. Jim Ross, yeah. Yeah. JR was head of talent for a good part of that time, and uh, JR had always been a booster of mine. Uh, He thought that I could come in and work with uh, a lot of the talent, bring a little something different to the table. And uh, I'm hearing this through. I'm pretty sure Jim's discussed it on on your show, Uh, but I'm I'm reading his autobiography at like Mm -hmm. three a.m. You know, I'm probably in my underwear, three a.m. And it's always cool to see your name your own name in a book I don't think anyone ever stops thinking that's cool right and I resist the urge to go right to my part you know I'm reading the book and it's a very good book Uh, and then it gets to my part and I read the words (laughs) in bed in my underwear I read the words and I'm imagining Vince's voice in my head is like okay I'll bring him in so you know how it feels to have your heart broken by someone you think is so good who turns out to be the shits. And this is, again, my version of reality. I don't know if I actually yelled out loud in the room, but in my head at least I was yelling out, I'm a human being. <laughs> like, what, what If I had known this, if this had been the parameters upon which I was uh, hired, yeah, all right, you make. right, I'm going to be honest, you're coming in to break Jim Ross's heart. I don't think I would have taken them up on that. I don't even think if had I known that Mr. McMahon finally, you know, in the fall of 1995, this is Bruce telling me this in 2000 and probably 12 or 2013 that he finally goes like, all right, I'll bring him in, but I'm covering up his face.
1: So the night after WrestleMania, you're finally going to make your big television debut. Monday night. Raw is still, you know, the show, uh, just to add context, the NWO is not a thing yet. So there is a nitro, but the NWO is going to debut the next month. Yeah. And Brett's out of here now. He's going to take a little bit of a leave of absence. Sean is the new champ. And this is before the night after WrestleMania became the super show right. that it is now. Right. And when you come out to take on Bob Holly, there's really no reaction uh, especially compared to the big reactions you would have in the future. Do you think fans were, you know, you go back and you look at the undertaker's debut and little kids were scared. Yeah, sure. Uh, they didn't know what to think. They just knew they'd never seen anything like this before. Do you think there was quote unquote heat? They knew you were a bad guy. They're feeling it out. They're not too sure. Is it cactus Jack? Is it not? How did it feel to you come into the ring as as far as your reception
2: you know to this day i still have differences of opinion with people who think the heels main job is to get heat i've right. always believed in interest hmm. and that's why we see like you're looking around your uh room here you got uh, uh warrior and hogan babyface match so mm-hmm. we've got a lot of uh great babyface matches that have main evented uh, not only wrestlemania but all kinds of uh pay-per-view main events or uh um uh house show main events baby face on baby face even heel on heel uh, because they've created the interest so i all I realized that when I went out and I was doing independence, there was a guy dressed as a uh, like a pink panther doing a gay gimmick in West Virginia. And of course that's going to get heat. Of course. And so conceivably I could have been the guy in the Pink Panther outfit doing a gay gimmick, which was, you know, that was a heat getting gimmick in 2022. Uh, but I didn't think it was heat. I thought, I, you know, there was a certain type of heat, but I thought that interest trumps heat. Oh, for sure. So I wasn't, I was not as worried about what I, I didn't perceive it as a lack of heat because I felt like people were interested. And then within an hour coming out of the the crowd crowd or the the aisle uh, to attack The Undertaker uh, created a lot of interest right away.
1: Yeah, so later that night, the main event spot on Raw, uh, it's going to have you make The Undertaker look human. You know, you beat the hell out of him and the show ends with that historic elbow off the ring, crashing into the camera, uh, takers in the hallway, and it's probably one of the most well shot scenes in the history of the company. Did you guys have that shot in mind in walkthroughs that day or all along, or did it just happen?
2: Well, Ke- you know Kevin was really on board from day one with the camera shots. Uh, Jackie Crockett had done a great job in WCW of making it look like I was uh, coming down into people's living rooms. and that's what uh, Vincent Kevin Dunn did. Uh, now it's a given that guys will go around, they'll know the big shots, and they'll try to, you know, get, Kevin gets knocked for a the, the lot of swirls and the cu- quick cuts, and quick cuts. Um, but I'll take the quick cuts over the uh, a minute at a time on the hard camera any day. Um, I, lo- I love the cuts, and then they go back, and when they know something has looked great, then they go back and they show you that other angle. So they're always, they want to limit that groaner that uh, gets in the way of the magic that we create um if someone wants to argue the cuts are too quick that's fine but uh but they do go down and they get the best camera shots uh that are possible and so i i i don't know if i if if i said it looks great with a low camera or whether they already realized that but they shot it tremendously um it, it looked great undertaker sold it like a million bucks he's foaming at the mouth and uh DDP, uh, he he called Eric Bischoff back in the days of the telephone. He said, "Bish, that's going to draw. And I think it was apparent to WCW that WWE was on to something because immediately WCW started showing videos with Cactus Jack losing to every possible person because I think they realized, uh-oh, uh, Bischoff 101. Yeah, this is uh, we're going to try to cut this guy off uh, at the knees because that's going to work.
1: So you aren't so sure about this character as we head in here, and you've been told that, um, well, Vince doesn't really like the promos. But, man, closing Raw the night after WrestleMania with such an iconic shot on such a big talent in The Undertaker, when that night's over, you mentioned that you called your wife, you had to feel at least a lot better
2: i did yeah i did i hated the mask i want i was hoping what we did was strong enough that i could uh segue into a cactus jack run but i realized that what we had done was pretty substantial and now to make this relevant to the people watching the the new you know the newer product um I wonder what would have happened to me if in inst- 11 and a half years into my career, if instead of coming out and jumping the undertaker, my first match, if I'd been sent to developmental for three years, um, I think it would have sh- shattered my confidence and, uh, uh, made me, uh, the same. Yeah. Much more similar to everyone else. So that I wouldn't have stood out the same way that uh, in WWE, you know, the, the heyday when they were picking the best guys from each territory. Everyone was different. Jake came in. He had his own style. Randy Savage had his own style. Everyone was different. You know, Snuka had worked. Uh, at Portland, Japan, the Carolina. Like, everyone had their own thing. And now you put us all into like a a beautiful assembly line, but it's but like it's a factory. A, yeah. It's a factory where you're encouraged to learn their playbook. And I think you lose a little bit of the, uh, uniqueness that makes wrestling so great. And also you mess with, I just think when it's been proven that you could take AJ Styles and premiere him at Royal Rumble, the idea of putting seasoned veterans in developmental can be detrimental to
1: to their career, to yeah. the company, to yeah. the business, this episode. And every episode is brought to you by blue chew. We love talking about blue chew here on Folius pod. It's like a hot tag for your wiener. Seriously. This is for guys who are looking to put on a five-star performance. Maybe you've been living under a rock. Let me explain blue Chew is a unique online service delivers you the same active ingredients as Viagra Cialis and Levitra but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost, take them anytime day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And the process is simple. You'll sign up at blue You'll consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part. It's all done online. That means no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversation, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. And blue chew wants to have you have better sex. Why not discover those options at blue Let's chew it and do it y'all and boy. We got a special deal for our listeners. Try it. That's right. Try blue chew free. When you use our promo code Foley at checkout, just pay the $5 shipping. That's blue The promo code is Foley. You receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank BlueChew for sponsoring today's podcast. As a reminder, you know, both JR and Bruce, we're, were both pushing for you. But timeline-wise, I think JJ's still there. Or had JJ just left? JJ
2: to... was still there. Yeah. He was still there because my original uh, dealings were with uh, JJ. And as a matter of fact, I was sent two contracts. And I returned the wrong contract with all my notes on it where it's like, oh, this is crazy, this doesn't give me any, you know, ownership, you know, and J.J.'s like, oh, Mick, I think you sent the wrong contract,
0: he's like, oh, yeah, I did
2: send in the wrong contract, because it was very one-sided at that time, and, uh, you know, I didn't have any representation, I think only Jesse did at that point, oh, wow, yeah, I think uh, around that time, Jesse Ventura was the only, Barry Bloom came in, and it was like, he was like a pariah to some of the uh, people who make the decisions because they'd never seen an agent in professional wrestling, um, and then Barry ended up doing a world of good for a lot of people, including me. But uh, at that time, it was just Barry, and you might have a lawyer look over your 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 contract, but it was pretty one. It was extremely one-sided. Yeah, to the point where you know the only thing you were guaranteed, and the company was big on saying we don't we don't give guarantees. We give opportunities. But should they choose not to use you, the only thing you were guaranteed was five matches a year at $150 a match for five years. So you were guaranteed $750 a year and you couldn't go anywhere else for five years should they choose not to lose you. It was was an insane contract to sign, but, you know, if uh, if WW, it was great. When WCW was alive and well, it gave the men and women uh, another chance and it helped, you know, rising tide <laughs> it lifts all boats, right? Yeah. And, and it did, but at that time, you know, at that time you were signing on the dotted line for five years for $750 a year guaranteed.
1: Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, so so J.J. Dillon is, uh, is still a part of the company, yeah. and, and I, I just realized we, we let this go by. Did you just a few minutes ago tell a, po- a positive story about Jim Hurd? We ever we <laughs> almost never hear a positive story about Jim Hurd.
2: Well, my interactions with Jim Hurd were so uh, limited. Uh, I can't tell you that I had another reaction with him, although I, th- I think I did show up in 1990 before I met my wife. Uh, to get my check with an exotic dancer. Oh, wow, good for yeah. you. Yeah, good for me, yeah. Uh, and, um, and I think that turned some heads because she looked every bit the exotic dancer, you know, uh, when the clock was off. And I think I, I may have been asked not to bring someone, unless they're willing to wear more clothes, uh, oh. to the office. Yeah. I, but that may have been Jim Barnett having words with me. I don't want to say it was heard. So let me just say my experiences with Jim heard were, were, were limited, uh, yeah. but they, but they were positive. I know he got, he got upset with Dennis Brent for giving me a two page spread in, uh, the WCW magazine in 1990 because he was looking at me as if, you know, I was a job guy. Technically, I lost a lot of matches, but I was in that gray area because, as I talked about in the, the the live show, and we'll probably talk about at greater length later on, you know, Jim Cornette and Kevin Sullivan came up with this amazing entrance for me because they had exclusive control over the people losing the matches. There was nothing that prevented them from pushing a guy who was on the losing end of the of the match. And that's what ushered in the... Cactus Jack turns on a, uh, on a line of tag-team partners. Yeah. It be, it was such a good idea. I can't believe it hasn't been stolen. Yeah. The worst that somebody could say is, isn't that what Mick Foley did in 1989? But I think a lot of people are like, that's what Mick Foley did in 89. And I think it'd be a nice nod and a wink to what Kevin and Corny did back then and also help a guy get over. But Jim said, uh, why are we giving two two pages to a job guy? And uh, Dennis uh, tried to explain to him that I wasn't your traditional job guy, although I did lose quite a bit. Um, But when I came back uh, 15 months later, yeah, he was was very much agreeable to the $3,000 a week.